Episode 54 with Christy Papetti on the Nine Point Start the Dream Podcast. Welcome to Nine Point Started with a Dream Podcast. Our goal is to showcase the stories of athletes and the community that supports them by being authentic about their journey. Here's your host, Jacoby Gillum. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jacoby Gillum, coming to you live from the desert, Phoenix, Arizona. And this episode is one that really hit home because... It's about identity, you know, and, and, and feeling lost and, and not knowing who you are outside of the world of sports. And that's kind of really how Nine Point started for me or really the idea that later became Nine Point because I was that athlete that did not know who I was outside of football and track and I was lost. And so this episode, we have Christy Papetti. She is a former Division One dancer and now she is a, a redesign coach for athletes and high achievers. And with her, it was cool. It was almost like refreshing for me to kind of hear her share her story because I can relate to it so well. And I know a lot of you can as well. And she's a great resource for any athlete or any high achiever that just wants to just keep improving themselves, you know. Like, you're not broken. You're just need to find a way to kind of keep enhancing, becoming the best version of yourself, and she can really help you do that. So, great episode here. I loved her journey and her story, and, and let's get to it. Christy, the question that everyone that comes on is, when you're younger as an athlete, what was one of your bigger terms of goals doing to achieve? You know, I've been dancing since I was two. So, one of the bigger dreams that I wanted to achieve was one day to dance on a really large scale, right? whether it was for a backup dancer or on Broadway or um, in an international capacity. I just always saw some really cool opportunity to be a professional dancer one day. And so it's interesting because my life ended up taking a little bit of a different path, but that was sort of the big dream when I was younger. And so, so, so you were a dancer. What kind of dancer were you? Were you like ballet? Were you like traditional Contemporary, what kind of dancer were you in? I actually grew up dancing in most styles. So I grew up dancing ballet, jazz, tap, hip hop, contemporary, all of it, honestly. And so as I grew up and went to college for it, I, in my major, I was doing ballet and modern. And on the dance team, the Michigan dance team, I was doing hip hop and jazz. But ironically, even though I was doing those four styles, tap dancing was actually my favorite. So I did a lot of tap dancing prior to going to college and then on my own, but that was actually my favorite style. That, that's, that's a lot if you're, you're doing all those. That's, that's impressive. <laughs> Thank I, you. I, I was friends with a few dancers um, out like just like, regular, like in high school and in college as well. I know they, there was a grind for them, like the practice schedules for everything. So for you, yeah. what, what, what was that like? Yeah, so... I was doing every single style and growing up doing all of that. So that's a great question. When I was joining the competitive circuit, so around middle school, high school, I, it was a, yeah, a full-time job. So I would go to school right after school. I would go straight to dance and you'd be there for four or five hours a day. And then as you were gearing up for competition season, you would be there for rehearsals on, um, Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays, depending on what needed to be rehearsed, 
more than others. And so it was truly a second job. It was, I was either at school with my friends or at dance. And that's why, I mean, you can relate when you're on an athletic team, your teammates become your family. They become your go-to friends because you're just with them in and out and you guys go through so much together. So that was sort of my lifestyle growing up in high school. And then when I went to college, it was dance was my major and I was also on the dance team. So yet again, I put myself in a position where I was going to class for dance. And then when I had kind of any spare time, I was also attending dance team practices. I was dancing at the athletic events, like the football games, basketball games, sometimes volleyball and wrestling. We would travel to nearby away games. And depending on how well the teams did, like if my, my, uh, I think it was my junior and senior year, Michigan advanced to the elite eight in the final four and the championship game. So I actually was with the team traveling for those games too. So it was definitely a full-time experience. <laughs> but, but I bet it was amazing though, just be able to like, because it, it gives you the opportunity to kind of see different kind of cultures and learn different cultures, right? Yeah, it was really cool because, you know, a lot of dancers don't necessarily identify themselves as quote unquote athletes, but like you were saying with the friends that you know, I mean, it's, it's really just as all in, in terms of the training, the practicing, the refining your skills. And so it was cool to sort of, you know, live out my performing aspect of dance on the sidelines of watching, you know, other athletes do their thing, right. And compete. So it was kind of that cool experience of sort of seeing how they operate, what their kind of behind the scenes looks like in their sports while also sort of living out what I do. And with that, were you like, were you like, um, like a Palm Squad type, type dance or? Yeah, good question. So there was the cheer team. So that was male and female and they did stunts and cheers and, you know, um, different things on the sidelines. The dance team was a little bit different in that we too had pom-pom. So oftentimes we got confused, but we did hip hop dances at the breaks and the timeouts. We were also on the sidelines cheering along with the cheer team, but we would sort of incorporate those dance skills into our sideline routines or while we were on the court doing sort of those halftime or timeout breaks, if that makes sense. <laughs> what do you call that at, um, at Michigan? At OU, it's called a Palm Squad. Yeah, so we were actually just called the Michigan Dance Team. So it was the cheer team and then we were the dance team and our teams worked hand in hand to just be at all the different sporting events and provide sort of that spirit and the, um, you know, something to just provide that visually, um, you know, appealing spirit and cheer for the, for the team that we were um, on the sidelines for. So nowadays, are you still good dancer? Do you like, like, like bust out moves out of anywhere? <laughs> you know, it's so funny because, you know, you spend your whole life refining your skills as a dancer. And then if you catch me at a party, I'm, I literally just look like a goof, you know, just <laughs> dancing and having a good time. And of course I have some, I, I got a rhythm, I got a beat, but I, I sort of, I never really like bust out these intense moves um, while I'm no at eight count. Event. No eight count. No A count, you know, routine, busting out. But, you know, if somebody puts me on the spot, I'll, I'll go for it. You know, it's one of those things. <laughs> and then if I'm at an like, event, like we were just at a wedding this past year for one of my dance team former members and put us all together, like a bunch of us dancers, and then it's just all bets are off. <laughs> uh, good stuff, good stuff. Yeah. So, so, so in that moment, you know, you were, you were living out your dream. 
you know, the goal was, you know, eventually to hopefully take this dance thing to the next level. So what was, what was it like going every day during, during the school and the practices? Like, what was it, how did it feel getting close to that dream? Or think you were? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it was the time of my life, right? I had the best teams as I was moving through my collegiate experience. I loved the, the way I communicated and expressed myself was truly through dance. And it became like a second language for me. And so I had an incredible experience just getting to explore the different sides of dance and really refine that and sort of look forward to maybe pursuing it in a professional capacity. And so as I went through my experience, I got injured um, at the beginning of my junior year. And that sort of switched the tide on my whole experience. But also I know that some athletes can relate whether they get injured or not, that as you're sort of nearing that end of your at least collegiate experience, it's tough because something that you love so much and love doing almost becomes a little bit of a, a job in a way, right? And if, if you almost sometimes start to resent it a little bit and start to get burnt out because it's like anything when you're committing yourself that hard, that often repeatedly, you almost need to take a, a breath, a step away. So not only did the injury, but then also kind of coming to the end of my four years, I was really kind of ready to take a step back when I graduated. So that sort of turned, you know, took a turn from this like whole ooh, glamorous, like, let me go be a professional dancer. I sort of had a little bit of a different experience as my college um, four years sort of panned out. Something I dealt with when I was um, competing and stuff was sometimes I felt that my sport didn't love me as much as I loved it. Mm. Did, did you kind of yes. have that feeling? That's a really great way to put it. Exactly. You, you put so much into it. And I think you get back from it when you have these really gratifying experiences, right? Like you win that game that you've been training for. Or you um, nail that performance that you've been practicing for. And so that's kind of its way of showing its love back in a lot of ways. And of course, the experiences you have along the, the journey. But yeah, there, toward the end of it, it was like, what am, what am I pouring my heart into when I don't feel like I'm getting that back? So I, I love the way you put that. I definitely resonate with that. And you say, you say you got hurt junior year. What was the injury? So I tore my labrum in my right hip at the beginning of my junior year. But it went undiagnosed for two years. So labral tears are becoming much more, um, people are becoming much more aware of labral, labral tears in the medical and the healthcare industries. But at the time when I got it torn, it was still a little bit newer. So it went undiagnosed as a groin pull, a hip flexor strain, so many other things. Maybe it's a nerve thing. Like it was just a guessing game of sort of what it was. So I actually didn't have it diagnosed as a labral tear until I graduated. So it was two years like that. You sound like a true athlete, you know, fighting through the injuries. <laughs> oh, right. I always say that. I was like, like any, you know, true athlete and true dancer, I pushed through it, right? Because you, you don't want to take any time away. You don't want to admit that you aren't necessarily at your full capacity. And so I did everything I could. And I kind of held on to any words from any medical professional or coach or authority that told me, you're not going to make it worse. It, you know, it's not going to get any worse if you continue to dance on it. I just hung onto that and I was like, okay. <laughs> and just sort of kept going 
at full force. And I had to make some tough decisions during those two years to protect my body. But at the same time, I definitely pushed it well beyond the length that I, I should have. Because in your mind, you were like, if I give this up, what's next? Yeah, if I, if I give this up or if I sit on the sideline, who, who am I? What am I doing? You know, that was all I knew about myself and what I love to do. And it just really identified the person that I was. And it was, it was threatening. I was like, I can't sit out. I, I'm going to miss out on all these opportunities. I'm going to miss out on being with my team. It was all those social and emotional pressures that pushed me to keep going. And, and just, just looking back on that, because I think a lot of athletes go through that same thing because we, because we're so, you know, it's kind of like we do not for work, but the whole identity crisis, you know, we kind of get so caught up in who we are and how the world views us. So letting go of that, that part of us is just the unknown, right? Right, right, exactly. I think, yeah, you nailed it, nailed it on the head. I, I thought that I was having a really hard time through that whole period because of the pain. Like I was like, oh, it sucks to be in pain, which it does. And I was like, I don't want to be injured. I just want to be normal, you know, whatever that means. And I just kept chalking it up to being frustrated about the pain and the fact that I couldn't keep dancing. But it wasn't until years later that I processed through what I went through that I realized it was an identity crisis. Like that's truly what it was. But like during school, you were still like, yeah, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to bounce back. So, so how did the rest of your, your, college, your college journey go? Yeah, so I spent those two years not only trying to figure out what was going on with my body, but also having to make some really tough decisions. So in my dance major program, I had to choose, am I going to sit out of this dance piece because I don't want to push my body? Am I going to not do nationals my senior year on the dance team so that I can, again, rest my body, but still do the games. So I had to make some really tough decisions and I ended up pulling out of uh, the competitive nationals routines that we did for the dance team. I pulled out of some performances with my major and I did kind of the bare minimum, but things I still enjoyed. So I still danced at the basketball and football games. I still, um, got to do my senior year thesis, um, concert for my dance major program. So it was like picking and choosing these things, but it was like pick, like pulling a piece of my heart out every time I couldn't do something. And it, it seemed so dramatic to say, but it just really felt like such a life or death situation in these decisions um, of whether or not I was doing them. But it was, it was that intense for me. So those two years kind of played out with picking and choosing. And then finally, when the end of my senior year rolled around, I was ready, like I said, to step away and be like, what's really going on with my body and how do I take care of it and figure it out now? So that was sort of what propelled me to the rest of my, my story. That's, that's, that's something, you know, and, and I, I, I just know, I bet it was like super tough because you, you, you saw all your friends doing everything that you want to be out there doing. Exactly. And I was, you know, invited to come along with the team to as they competed at nationals, but it was too, it was honestly so hard for me to be there and to sit out, which in hindsight, you know, I wish I had the strength and the resilience to have just been like the craziest cheerleader on the sidelines, just like cheering my team on. But it, it's something you learn in hindsight about 
truly your, your strength and resilience in those moments. And that's what I feel like I've learned over these past few years is how to, how to build that so that when life throws you anything, like outside of athletics, outside of dancer or not, you're going to be ready for it because life is always going to hand you something that makes it really hard. We're all going to face adversity at some point in our life, even if you haven't yet, or maybe you have. And, you know, everyone says, Oh, learn from your mistakes and learn from the hard times. It's not a cheesy thing. It's a true, it's a true skill set to bounce back and be resilient when something kind of knocks you off your feet or knocks you off your path. And so that's sort of what that whole experience, those two years, especially were just prepping me and, and making me learn those lessons of really how to, how to get through it when something's handed to you that you're, you're not expecting. When it, when it's not planned for like that injury come and you're, 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 you're right on a high. It's right. like, it like hits you in the gut and you're like, Oh, exactly. Exactly. That's why, you know, I talk all the time about, and I work with people now who were sidelined athletes, performers, or high achievers, because transitioning out of athletics alone is like a feat, right? It's, it's hard no matter how you're transitioning out. And so it's a universal experience among people who dedicate their life to something so hardcore, like the way athletes, performers, or high achievers do. But especially when it's not on your terms or you're not expecting it, it's a whole other level of mental and emotional impact that takes a lot of navigation to, to work around, but there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just a whole other kind of um, path to go down, if that makes sense. Definitely. So why do you think athletes in IT kind of deal with this the most out of most people? So why do I think they're kind of like their own <laughs> breed in so, a way? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that when, so athletes, performers, high achievers, meaning like anyone, you know, that can include entrepreneurs, that can include people who have dedicated their life to something. When you spend that much of your time, energy, effort, passion into something to become great at it, to become significant at it, to, to refine a skill set on that level, it just requires like a whole other, it requires like a whole other space of, of commitment and just identity. Right. And it truly becomes who you are, what you do, what you stand for, what your purpose is. And so I just feel like there's such an interesting population to work with because even though the overall experience of a life change or a life circumstance coming out of nowhere is universal, right? Like somebody could develop diabetes and they didn't realize it or somebody could have a stroke right and that's unexpected and completely life-changing but I think it's one thing when that that experience takes you out of something that was who you are to the core and that's how I felt with dance was like dance was who I was so when this injury took me out maybe somebody else would have been like all right this sucks like and, and it really stinks to be in pain and I, I have to rehab from it but that like, there was so much more tied to the fact that I couldn't dance. It wasn't even just like about not dancing. It was about all that was attached to it. So the fact that I didn't feel significant, the fact that I felt like I, I didn't belong, where was my source of connection now? So all that was sort of tangled up in it because I feel like performers, athletes, high achievers have that extra connection to something that's bigger than themselves, if that makes sense. 
definitely I, like it's, it's much like our self worth is in our, in our in our sport or, or activity. Then, then once it's gone, you feel like if, if, if that doesn't love me, who does? Right, right, yeah. It, it's so true. You're and understandably so, right? When you grow up doing something like playing a sport or performing, of course, your identity and your self worth is going to be wrapped up into it because it gave you. It gave you an identity to stand behind. It gave you something to be like, I, I am this. I've worked hard to be this. Like this is gratifying. It's validating. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's just the fact that we don't as communities and programs support the, or necessarily focus on the building of the skills that are going to take us forward when the 97 to 98% of athletes and performers don't continue on in their life doing that. Right. So that's, that's kind of the flip side of, I, I feel like it's incredible to be a part of that and have that identity created when you're young. And that's something to be proud of, but we need to be building those skills and those tools to be able to move forward too. Definitely. Cause I lacked those skills when I was growing up. And, mm-hmm. and like, for me, once I lost football in high school, I felt distraught because I, I, I felt like I was so insecure about everything else I did in my life. And I was like, crap, without, without this thing, who am I? You know, am I, am I even good right. at anything? But for you, as you started, like, realizing that this is coming to an end, I have to think of what's next for me. How do you go about it? So... I tried to go about it in the best way that I knew how and what, you know, society sort of tells you to do is a plan B, right? So I, toward the end of my collegiate experience, as I was injured and needed to sort of figure out what I was going to do, I discovered occupational therapy. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go get my master's. And while I'm trying to figure out my rehab and recover from my injury, I'm going to go through a master's program and get um, my master of science in occupational therapy. So I actually went straight into that after I graduated after like that summer. So I actually had surgery in the midst of my master's program. Like a boss. Like a boss. (laughs) Because of course, right? Like I needed to have 700 things going on at once because that's what we do. (laughs) So I, um, I went through that whole experience and actually I really attribute having that master's program to keeping me afloat at the time, because as I was navigating the murky waters of recovery, the OT program gave me something goal-directed to focus on. It gave me something to improve in, to refine my skills. It was a whole new identity that was forming in another capacity and giving me that validation and that worth of being like, oh, cool, this is really resonating with me. Oh, cool, I feel like really connected to this and like I'm doing well in this. And it sort of translated what I had from dance a little bit into another capacity so so when you so it's almost like it's almost like a trade-off in a sense like a baton handoff like hey dance <laughs> is done i'm gonna take this you no know, the this, this school side and remember this right so you know it exactly it was like okay dance ended and that and that gave you all these things let's just shift and and go into this new area and start to get it from there. And like I said, this kept me afloat, but it was just prolonging the inevitable of the work that I really needed to be doing. So while I was really grateful for it, and I really do look back on it fondly being like, wow, I think having something goal-directed 
really helped me make that leap from being a, a full-time dancer to now something else. But at the same time, once that ended, all of the real stuff started to surface and all of the, the mindset and processing that I really needed to get to the heart to finally bubbled up. It just gave me a buffer window to get there. At, at what point did, 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 did everything just explode and you were like left, <laughs> left, left with all the plate of everything in front of you? You were like, <laughs> you know, I, what really left it to explode was, okay, so I graduated from my OT program. I was like, yes, I'm an OT. This is great. Who needs dance? And then I started my first OT job and I was into it. I was like, all right, this is new. This is cool. I'm a newbie, like just learning. And then I got injured again and it was on the job. I was just left work and not even like two minutes into my drive. I felt this pop in my chest right over my heart. I literally was like, oh my God, am I having a heart attack? Like it was really freaky. I called the, pulled over, called the ambulance, went back to literally the hospital. I just left the place that I work. And really long story short, I actually um, developed costochondritis. So it's this inflammation of the cartilage in your rib. So it was actually a rib cage issue. But so I was like, oh, I'm going to be out of work for a couple of days. No biggie. And I actually was out of work for three months. Oh, wow. So that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back in some ways of, and not in a bad way where like I imploded. <laughs> it was really the catalyst that made me take a step back because I now had three months where I was just kind of hanging, right? I was going to PT. I was re recovering now from a new injury, but I, it, I had so much time to reflect and it really got me still and like out of the like achieving next thing. What's the next step? What's the next place in the path? It got me out of that for a second and was like, what are you really doing? Like, what's going on? What are all the things under there that you're not paying attention to that you should be? And it was really the moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I need to, to go deep. So during those three months I was off from work, I found a sports psychologist. I was like, I need to process this stuff. I need to get clear on what I'm going through right now. And it was that combined with discovering coaching and, and diving back into more of the health and wellness area of OT that I always resonated with and really kind of getting back and clear on what I wanted and what I was passionate about and what called to me. And it was just like a snowball effect sort of like down the hill of just going like a totally different path. And that changed everything for me. And I can relate so much on that. And so, oh, so, yeah. for, you, so for you, when when you were just kind of left to just stop and was that like your first time just ever just pausing for any for any amount of time yes yes it was the first time i ever stopped right and you know stopping is almost like not in an athlete's vocabulary right because you're just constantly looking to the next thing like the next game the next competition the next whatever it is and you know, I substituted that pause that normally happens probably right after college for most people. I filled it with my master's program, right? And I filled it with that surgery to sort of take my mind off of things and, and, and focus on something else. But when that injury in my rib cage, that of course, at the time I was like, why me? But then it became like the best thing that ever happened to me was really the first time I paused and I was like, I am just surviving. I'm not living right now. And why? 
like what's going on. There's some, there's a lot of stuff underneath there that I've just been not addressing. And so it was that moment that I first, yeah, paused and then sort of took a look at myself. And then for you, when you kind of had that reflection, what was like, what was one of the things you kind of realized that, that was the reason you were acting the way you were? So there were so many, there's so many layers, right? But I think if I had to like kind of narrow it in, I was operating at, of a mindset, of a mindset, I should say, of 110%. So I'm sure a lot of athletes can relate to this, but that was like always like my tagline. Like I always put myself like 110% of myself into everything I did. So that was true when I was a dancer. That was true when I was a collegiate dancer. That was true when I joined a master's program. And I was just burning the candles at all ends. And it was so great because my sports psychologist was like, just so you know, let's take Michael Phelps, for example, incredible, beyond incredible athlete, major Olympian, right? Mm -hmm. He can't show up to practices at 110% every day or even the meet or the Olympics for that matter at 110% because he's going to burn the heck out, right? Like you can't operate like that. He has to give 80%. It's like, this is known like across athlete communities. Like you need to give 80% consistently, right? So that when you are put in the position, you can throw a hundred, okay, 110%, which doesn't really exist into that, that thing that you're preparing for. And that was like, for some reason, such a revolutionary concept for me at the time. I was like, wait, I can give 80% and, and do good things and, and make an impact and grow and learn. And so that was like one of those things that sort of helped me to slow down once I continued down like the next path that led from there. But that was really a revolutionary lesson for me. And I'm sure you could probably relate to. First I'm hearing that, that kind of for me, that's like, wow, think about like you can give 80%. And it's interesting because so many people on the outside, you gotta give 100% every time. But, mm-hmm. but, but you're saying, you know, if you give 80 consistent, consistently, it's better than giving 100 one day and then 40 the next day. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, you hear these concepts even across the entrepreneurial world now that I'm more soaked in that. I love what this one person says. Um, her name's Steph Crowder. She's a business coach. She says, B minus work changes the world. And like, as an, as like an all-star athlete or as like a really um, committed student or whatever you are, B minus sounds horrible, right? You're like B minus, heck no. Like I don't do B minus work, right? And she goes further into it, but just saying that putting out consistent B minus work is so much more impactful, right? Not that you're not going to ever like put out anything above that, but just aiming at least for B minus and not trying to be a perfectionist, like, and not trying to aim for 110 every time is actually going to be far more impactful than trying to do 110% all the time, because you are going to burn out. You're going to get lost. You're going to need to take steps back and it's going to derail you. So going back to the athlete metaphor or like picture, you know, if Michael Phelps showed up to the pool every day and gave 110%, he would be clocked out by the time you had to compete. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, in, it's like intentionally training at 80% all the time so that when you need to step up, you're ready for it so that you have the endurance and the 
energy and the wherewithal to give a hundred when you need to. You're spinning some fire right now, Christy. <laughs> Dropping bombs from everyone I'm learning from. <laughs> yeah, like that's interesting about. I, I haven't thought about it that way, and, and it's true. Cause just because I know from like my stuff with nine point, if I try to, I try to, get, I, 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 I try to be at like, at like A plus every day, but I can't yeah. do it. And then there's days where I just like lapsed off and I don't release stuff on time, and I'm like, wow. Think about it with this. Like, if I give eighty percent consistently, that's better than me trying to do. A plus and a D. So awesome. Right. Yeah. Right. Because also chances are your 80% is still somebody else's a hundred. Right. In the sense that like, obviously we want to be striving to be our best, you know, on a daily basis, but no one knows what your a hundred percent is. Right. And like, that's not, it's a metric that we're just basing on ourselves. And so I love the, even the quote done is better than perfect because I'm somebody who, you know, channeling that 110% mindset, I, I do have perfectionistic qualities. Sometimes when I do want to create something for somebody or to put something out there, I, I refine it and I, I'm like, this needs to be super research-backed and, and high quality. And I end up just draining myself to the point where then, yeah, like you said, I fall off the map or I need to take a step back and figure out what's going on. And so that whole done is better than perfect, 80%, B minus work, it'll actually keep you on track for the long game, which is what we're all trying to live for anyway, right? Definitely. So, so for you, once you got you got you got you got, you got your sports psychologist and you started piecing out who you were, who was Christy? Mm. Now you're dropping just bombs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, it's so interesting. At that time, I went to my sports psychologist. I was unraveling and then also I call this my Starbucks moment because it took place in the Starbucks and I was sitting there waiting for a hair appointment and I was sitting next to somebody who was talking to somebody on the phone I think a coach on the phone that she was just meeting and so she was telling them her I mean she was talking loudly I wasn't eavesdropping <laughs> but she was talking about how she's trying to get on track with some of her health goals she keeps falling off she was talking about a lot of mental blocks and mental um struggles that she was having with all of it. And it was all health and wellness related and athletic related. And I just felt this overwhelming sensation, like truly in my gut to turn to her and be like, let me help you. And at the time I didn't have a business. I didn't have a website. I didn't even have like an offering. And I just wanted to turn to her and be like, I want to help you. And so I left that Starbucks and I was like, what the heck was that about? And so that led this whole snowball you know, path, if you will, that I just started to look into the health and wellness side of OT, all the coaching, coaching principles started just feasting on all of this information and stuff that excited me outside of the world of dance. Right. And I was just like, what is this about? Why am I excited? Why am I pulled to this? And so I, so, so I started to just piece it all together and soon began to realize that I wanted to connect with others. I wanted to serve others. I wanted to help people who were in my shoes push past it and move forward. Right. But I was like, I'm going through this right now. Like, how can I do that? And so I just spent a lot of time learning, researching, reflecting, refining, getting clear on me. So when I was in the position of being stable and, and good and fulfilled, I could then turn around and now help somebody through the 
seven year craziness that I had just gone through. The Starbucks moment. Starbucks moment. You should get free drinks for that. <laughs> I should, you know what? One day I'm going to coin it and I'm just going to go back to them and be like, listen, let's strike up a deal here. <laughs> help me help you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's that entrepreneurial mindset. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So, so once you realize you kind of found your, your purpose, I feel like, right. At, at what point did you, at what point did you say, I want to help athletes and performers and overachievers? Yeah. So I think it was as I was starting to apply what I was learning to helping myself. Right. So even like my occupational therapy degree, I was like so fixated on like what patients and what clients I would help as an OT that I started to realize that the fundamental principles and concepts of OT were actually helping me get back on track. And I was like, whoa, OT can work for me, which OT is, you know, a a very um, established profession in the mental health space. But I was like, if it can help me get through this, I want to use my background and my personal experience to help other people who are in my shoes and who would be people that were in my shoes. I mean, like I said, the concepts are universal, um, but I really wanted to get into the nitty gritty, like I said, for the athletes, the performers, the high achievers, the people who know what it feels like that to be so connected to something and have that taken away. So that was sort of the train of thought and process there because it hurts <laughs> like, yeah. so so for you that this thing kind of started as almost like like it's almost like a, a business for yourself and then developed too so when at what point did you say how can I make this my my full-time job mm. so I talk about that, that year sort of when I got injured and then I started to have this like snowball of excitement and just exp- exploration. I talk about the years, the year of intuition for me, because I sort of just took those three months. I figured things out and then I came back and I just started to listen to myself because I was so much more in tune after I went through psycho- the psychology and the, um, the work with a psychologist and just like the self-exploration. So I started to just figure out what was making me tick. And I just, it was almost like I could not go back to where I was. It was, it was really just like, I couldn't go back there. So I went back to the job that I um, was out from for three months and I resigned like a month later. And I actually went into another OT job from there because I was thinking, oh, I don't really know if like I can do something with coaching yet. Like, let me just kind of still stay stable. And so I went, I hopped to another OT job that was quote unquote, my ideal OT job. Like as a student, I was like, I would love to work here. And so I started working there. I was like, maybe I'll, I'll still love this the same way. And six months in, I was like, I'm, I, it's rewarding work and it's great, but why do I feel so restless? why do I feel like I need to run in the other direction? Like I just was this overwhelming sensation that I couldn't ignore. And so even though I didn't have necessarily this like super solid and stable thing to fall back on, I was like, I can't continue doing this. It's crushing my creative spirit. It's crushing my soul that I'm just now getting in touch with that 
I was like, I, I need to, I need to go and I need to just make this happen. So while I was still at that job, I established my LLC. I committed to doing this thing and I, re I resigned soon thereafter. And ever since I've just been on this path of figuring it out, following my gut, creating things that I know would support and help people and, and just moving forward. So it was kind of this trickling of like teeter tottering between stable, taking a risk, stable, taking a risk. And I just, I like felt like I did not have a choice. Like I had to take the risk. Back against the wall type stuff. Yeah, exactly. So for any athlete right now listening, that's kind of in that, that, in that position that where you, where you were, where you were just not sure who you were, what would, what, what, what would be your first step to advice to them? Hmm. I would say if you're feeling like you're struggling with letting go of that athlete identity or even figuring out who you are beyond that, I would say take the time to really invest, whether it's just time, energy, or monetary into your self discovery. So whether that's reading books on things that seem to excite you, whether that's attending conferences or workshops or listening to podcasts, right? That, that sort of open your mind to something new. Um, what I soon began to realize was that not everybody has the same, not everybody gets light up by the same things that I do. Right. So to me, it was like, Oh, wouldn't everyone just like want to do this? But I soon began to realize that no, not everybody feels compelled. So tune into what you're being compelled to. That's not just by chance and don't just write it up to just any old thing and don't try to logic your way out of it. Really listen, like what's pulling to you. And if you're not really sure yet, broaden your mind to what's possible. Try something different. Like is your friend involved in something that you're kind of like, oh, that'd be cool. Give it a try, right? Like be open because I feel like I was so narrow-minded in what path I needed to go down and what the next step was. And it's all been blown up in my face and it's been the best thing ever, you know? And so I would just sort of say, get clear and get quiet um, to figure out what is really lighting you up. And then what was it about your sport that lit you up? Like, obviously, yes, we're all going to say it was fun. Like, I love being a part of a team. Like, it was, it felt really good to be good at something. Yes, 100%. But what, if you get really clear, what were the specific things about your sport or performance or anything that actually lit you up? For me, it was really that performance aspect. It was getting on a stage, you know, showing myself, connecting and expressing myself in front of others in a different way. And so now I'm channeling that into what I'm doing today and it's feeling super fulfilling and aligned, right? So I'm taking that performance quality and now I am giving talks to groups of people. I am creating programs where I'm connecting with groups and I can quote unquote perform, but by delivering a message or a connection or an expression that resonates with other people. And so I'm just channeling things that I loved about dance into my day to day now. And that's been super um, transformational, truly. Love that, love that for sure. And like one of, and like one of our bigger concerns sometimes is that our friends won't be there if 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 we do something else. So for you, when you kind of we started kind of figuring out the other side of you, were your, were your friends still there? 
they were still there. I, I was super fortunate to be in a community where I had a lot of ambitious people around me. So a lot of my friends went on to not professionally dance. They went on to become all-star sales members at Google. They went on to, you know, have these really cool, like to be a lawyer, to be a physical therapist. They kind of all went on their different paths as well. And so that really was super helpful to see and to be a part of together. Because like I said, transitioning out of being an athlete or a performer was hard enough in and of itself, whether or not you had an injury or some sort of disruptive thing that took you out of it, not on your terms. So we were all kind of navigating those waters together. And so I was fortunate enough to still have that supportive community around me. And no matter what, even if you're seeing some people go down a different path, there, there is going to be somebody, at least one person in that community who's feeling what you're feeling. Connect with them. Or, or you. They connect, they connect with you. Connect with me. Connect. There are so many people now who were athletes who are now supporting the, the larger former athlete and just current athlete communities because we get what it's like. And that was the thing when I was going through my whole experience, seven year experience, right. From when I first got injured to now, I felt so alone, Mm -hmm. which is so crazy because how many of us are there? There's so many, right. And even like I just said, I had an incredible supportive community, but nobody was really going through exactly what I was when I was going through it that I knew of. And so I felt so isolated. I felt like nobody really got it. I felt like Nobody could really help me. And so that's why I feel like I have to, I'm compelled to step up and be a voice for those who feel like they were sidelined not on their terms, because I remember what it felt like to be like, nobody actually gets what it feels like to be literally knocked off and not expecting it. I need somebody to just say, you're going to be okay. And I want to not only be the person that says you're going to be okay, but I want to be the person that says, let me guide you to, to moving forward. You can find a way to feel that sense of significance, that sense of worth again, but you need somebody at your side. You need somebody supporting you. And if I could say one thing through my whole experience was that I couldn't have done it without the mentors, the the therapists, the coaches, the friends, the family that were at my side through the whole thing. So if you are thinking like, I'm just going to go it alone, tough it out, right? you're going to come and hit a head where you're like, I can't do this anymore. And I, that was when I went through that too. And, you know, a lot of times too, we think if like, if we voice this thing, people are going to judge us. And then we, and we all fear that judgment of, of losing that status of the athlete or the, or the dancer. And we're like, Oh, anxiety or depression, whatever it may be. And people are like, ah, that's, that's weird. You shouldn't do that. You know? Right. But exactly. But you know, even if you get taken out of your sport or, or dance or whatever it is sooner than you expected, even if it's a little bit before the, the other people around you, like I was saying before, 97 to 98% of people, or sorry, I should just say two to 3% because that's even more like of an extreme number. Only two to 3% go on to do something professional um, in that, those spaces. So you're not alone. And, you know, people around you are ultimately going to be in your position to some extent, one way or another, even if it's not when you are right now. And so just trust in that there is more for you, right? Like that was not it. Even though it feels like the end of the world, you have a whole rest of your life to live that you were maybe not going to be professionally dancing or competing or 
anyway. So let's, let's actually like embrace that and figure out how you're going to move through it in the most aligned and fulfilling and, um, just worthwhile way for you. So from a question for you, so I know like on your website, you have, you have this quiz. What's mm-hmm. that, what that all about? Yeah. So I created this quiz on my website that basically when you take it, it's going to ask you a series of 10 questions. It's pretty quick that really at the end of the day, um, plants you into um, one of five levels. So these levels were created on as like the levels of transitioning out of a sport or out of performing. So whether or not you got injured, it has nothing to do with that. It's really just the process of transitioning out. And what most people don't realize is that when you transition out of sport, you actually go through stages. So you go through stages of transition, you go through stages of readiness for any kind of change, like readiness to embrace any sort of change. You go through um, stages of, of grief a lot of the time with your identity. And so I sort of pulled those stages together into levels to help people understand better where they're at in their transition. Because when you have the self-awareness of where you're at, it'll completely catapult you forward. You're not going to stay stuck. You're not going to sit in the like crummy feeling of just being like, what am I doing? Why am I here? Why can't I seem to figure out what's next? And so it starts from level one, goes to level five, and it really, um, helps you just figure out where you are in that transition and what is best for you to do in that transition to move to the next level and then to the next level. And I want to just say these levels aren't linear. It's not like you just go from one, two, three, four, five, you can go to two and then fall back into one and then jump up to three and go to four and then fall back to three. It's, it's not this like perfect, like linear path is life ever a linear path, but at least can give you that little snapshot of maybe where you fall now. So you can be like, Oh, I'm in level one and I'm supposed to be feeling feelings of denial. I'm supposed to be feeling like I'm rejecting any thought of, of moving forward. And then actually if I'm in level one, it's not recommended to be in a program that's trying to push you to, to change because you're not ready for it yet. And that's okay. Cause you're supposed to be going through that. And so that's just that it's almost like a permission slip to be where you're at right now. Love that. I'm going to test it out. Give it, give it a shot. Yeah. Where, where I'm at. Yeah. I love, and some people have taken it um, where maybe they feel like they're in a good place now after transitioning, but they took it just to see, Oh, let me take this quiz as if I was transitioning out just to see where I, I did fall. And if it sort of resonated with where I was um, or even with where you are at now, because level five, isn't the end level five just means that you've got to a place where you're now like ready for even more and you're ready to really dive in to who you are and what you want to be doing. Love it. So one last question for you, Chris, we kind of wrap a little bit. So where can we find you at website, social media, we can kind of mention right now. Yeah, sure. So my website is chrissypapetti.com and my Instagram handle is also just at chrissypapetti. So you guys can find me there, um, any other spot and connect with me. Also, I do have this online Facebook group called the second act squad, which is currently under renovation for a title, but you can just type it in and just be a part of a community of former athletes, um, who just want to sort of support one another and just process things and get on the same page, um, as they're trying to move forward and build lives that they love. Um, so 
I would love to see you there. It's welcome to anyone who requests and it's within the community. And so, um, yeah, you guys can find me anywhere in those three spots. Awesome. And, and one, so one last question for you. So if you can describe yourself yeah. in, in five adjectives, what would they be? Mm. Authentic. Welcoming. This is a good exercise. I'm like really getting deep here. <laughs> so authentic. Welcome welcoming. I would say ambitious. Aligned and and integrity. I just like, I think the word integrity, even though it's a little bit different, I, I just really feel so grounded in that because I feel like, especially in the world these days with social media, things can sometimes just come across differently than they are. And it's just super important to me to show up real, especially when it comes to talking about this type of stuff. You know, there's no room for sugarcoating, right? It's just real. We're all going through it. So I, I think that one is probably the most um, integral actually to my to my business and who I am. Love it, and I, I think it, it all connects to everything, everything, everything you said so far too. That those five, those five words. So, kind of for me, yeah. that helped me when when I was lost. I was like, "Hey, crap! Mm -hmm. Who who am I? Like, like if I describe myself to somebody, what would I say?" So right, yeah, no, that's a that's a really great question. And so, and then one more last thing I keep, keep doing this. So, so what's next for you? <laughs> yeah. So. Um, Actually, I don't know if I ever specifically said this yet on the podcast, but I'm a life redesign strategist for sideline athletes, helping them move forward to a life they love that's on their terms. And basically, it's really, I'm just spending all my time um, pouring myself into these athletes, performers, and high achievers who basically miss that feeling of being special right and significant and feeling that belonging and that connection like there's something th their purpose ultimately and um i really want to keep pouring into these athletes and performers and helping them move forward and so basically i'm just building my business continuing to work with people one-on-one -on -one. but down the line i truly see um a group program beginning to develop as well as potentially courses to just support um, these people and just figuring out what's next for them. I think it's so, so exciting. And like I said before, sometimes it can feel so isolating and intimidating and almost like you're defeated, but I'm, I'm ready to, to flip that script for people. And so that's kind of what I'm up to today. Love it. And it, cause it's so needed. You know, we, like, like you say, like we, we, we all kind of battle alone sometimes and we, and we shouldn't have to. So often, often that you're doing that. I love that. What y'all about. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I think if I could like leave everybody with something that really resonated just with me, it's been on my mind this week. Um, former two-time gold medalist Olympian, um, Abby Wambach, who was a former soccer player, she said something that really struck me and I really hope that it could help somebody out there listening today, was she said that when she was going through a processing of transitioning out of being a player, she was like, I just felt like soccer made me special. Like that just gave me like my self-worth, right? 
and her her um, wife, Glennon Doyle, turned to her and said, soccer isn't what made you special, Abby. What you brought to the game of soccer made soccer special. And I feel like that even just gives me chills now because it's really not about the fact that the thing that you were doing or are doing right now is what makes you special. You're not, spe- it's, it's not being this all-star track, you know, runner no. or this all-star dancer is that what makes you special. It's what you bring to that, what you already have in you that's making that so special. And it's just about figuring out how you're now going to channel that into the next chapter of your life. That, that thing, that sport or whatever, it just gives you a platform to, to showcase who you are. Right. Exactly. It was just a platform to showcase who, like, you really are. This is good. I can talk to you all day about this stuff. I love it. <laughs> no, really. I can probably go on <laughs> for forever, so Definitely. you might need to cut me off. But We're going to have to get you on. So We're going to have to get you, get, get you on either a live call one day or nine point or something, because I think, I think yeah. a, a lot of people don't know where to start, and I think you're giving them the blueprint to really take that step to – I think a lot, a lot, a lot like the, the college athletes that are about to, about to graduate, and they're really about to hit that reality of nine to five or whatever it may be. They're going to really need someone to tell them, like, hey, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. And no, you don't have to resign to a life that doesn't align with you. You don't have to feel like you're just any old person, you know, joining the marketing world or whatever it is you're doing like no you don't have to resign to that because you have more to offer so let's figure out what that looks like love it christy will enjoy the rest of your day enjoy jersey and we'll be in touch soon my friend thanks so much it's been such a pleasure thanks for having me on Yo, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nine Point Started With A Dream podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please comment, share, leave a review. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can find more athlete-driven content at ninepoint.com. Till the next episode, you're only one opportunity away. Peace.